Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the Jedi Order podcast. This episode is part two of my chat with Dr. Stuart Clark, where we cover Star Wars The Original Trilogy, The Mandalorian, The Clone Wars, and also more discussions on our galaxy solar system and all interesting things that are up in the night sky. So without further ado, here is the next episode of the Jedi Order podcast. It very much seems like now, like you were saying, we're just we're so lucky to be receptive of all of this information. And uh, it very much feels like 2020 was a time where space agencies across the world were like, right, everybody get ready because we're about to start again. Yeah, (laughs) it is. You're right, actually, to, 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 to pick up on that. This this is the year. This is the beginning of something new um, bec- through commercial uh, space systems and space agencies have been doing a lot of work to to understand how to work with commercial space entities for the good of everyone. Um, and so we're in a very new, very exciting phase of space exploration. And I think it's going to rapidly progress, actually. And I mean, that leads to an, an article which I saw, which I'm sure you're aware of, that came out the other day, which always grabs people's imagination. And it's any time you talk about the possibility of aliens in any form. There's obviously a report that scientists say that most likely the number of contactable alien civilizations is 36. I think one thing that surprised people that got a particular number um not so much that that these there's contactable possible contactable uh, alien civilizations out there i mean where where is that as a realistic kind of um standpoint from us i i see research like that as as valuable for starting discussion mm. so it all depends. So the, the the equations that they or the equation that they typically use is something called the Drake equation, and this was never intended as a as a. It's not an equation like you find in in general relativity or in Newton's law of gravity or something like that. It's just a list of factors and numbers that you multiply together um, to get a kind of estimate about how many um, communicating civilizations there might be. And it all the factors that are in there um, are there's only one or two that we can actually put numbers on. So one is the the number of stars in our galaxy. Well, okay, we can we can give that a good go. We can say a couple of hundred billion. Yeah. Then there's the fraction of those stars that can play that contain planetary systems. Well, we can start giving that a bit of an estimate um, as well because of the searches that we're doing for extrasolar planets uh, at the moment. Another factor says, well, it's the number of of planets within that solar system that are potentially habitable. So again, that comes out of the extrasolar planetary research. But the more you go down there, you get another factor, which is like the number of planets that develop life. So we've got no clue about that at the moment. Mm. The number of the planets or the fraction of the planets that develop um, life that then develop intelligence. Well, we've got no clue about that either um and then there's the 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 big one the um the one that carl sagan said was the actual important number and that could overwhelm everything else and that was the lifetime of a communicating civilization so if you have lots of alien uh civilizations but their window in which they're sort of leaking or deliberately transmitting radio messages into space is just a hundred years 
you're never going to see them. There's there's only going to be a tiny fraction, a tiny number of them rather in in the galaxy at any one time. If they broadcast for a million years, you're going to be much more likely uh, to find them. And so my position on extraterrestrial life is that I sort of hope it's out there. Um, it's a question that's utterly fascinating, um, but we can't really answer it um, at the moment. And any estimates that you do see and read about are sort of starting points for discussion rather than definitive uh, scientific um, theories, if you like. Yeah, if it, and it very much feels like obviously the first uh, telling tales of this and the first signs that we're truly, well, we've truly seen, but um, maybe the first discoveries will come from our own solar system. And like they said, because they believe there was water on Mars, which might have had microbiotic life. And I think there's a moon in our solar system as well if that's correct that they believe there's a possibility there that some form not intelligent life but some form of life exists yeah europa in jupiter's system and enceladus in um, saturn's system both of those probably have uh, oceans of water underneath their icy crusts um, so the thinking goes that if you've got water um, you may have life as well but that's that's as far as that uh, thinking goes at the moment is our, is our solar system also quite unique in the terms of i heard someone say in terms of jupiter as a gas giant without I don't know if it's in particular to Saturn or without Saturn, it would have kind of gravitated towards the sun at some particular point. Is that another thing that makes our existence more of a unique meaning? We simply don't know. There are people that advance um, hypotheses about this. They sort of look at the architecture of the solar system and wonder if that has a bearing and an influence on um, keeping Earth habitable and keeping the solar system stable. Um, but we simply don't, don't know because it's difficult to draw causal links um, between these different things. And one of the biggest motivations for trying to find planets around other stars is so that we can look to see if there's life on those planets and we can look at their atmospheres to see if there's uh, life we don't uh, non-intelligent life you know it could, it could just be widespread you know pond uh, pond life if you like um, but that could have an impact on the atmosphere which we could detect and it's in doing that that we'll and as we start to survey for life elsewhere in the galaxy uh, that we'll start to be able to say whether the earth and the solar system is is unique um, and what are the wider factors that make the earth habitable it's such a, it's an interesting discussion that it's very much I feel that I'm sure you do the same and a lot of other people feel that we can just sit and chat about for days due to the the amount of possibilities that yeah, are out there, which make it so fascinating yeah I'm I'm you know I count myself so lucky um, to be able to work in this field that I love so much because uh, yeah as a I do. I spend all day, every day, you know, talking about it with people and then writing about it afterwards. Now, in a in a galaxy that we both commonly know where there is a lot of intelligent life, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which brings it obviously why we're here in the first place is Star Wars, which has obviously given birth to the imagination of so many people that have then, like yourself, followed careers. Uh, within these fields taking it back to star wars for yourself are you've told me before i know you watched a new hope when it came out in the cinema can you kind of remember the experience kind of for yourself or what you were your first initial reaction seeing a new hope for the first time oh i can remember it vividly i mean i mean i you know i it's it's hard to um it's hard to explain um, how much I love Star Wars, actually. Um, and I can remember it all started with a television advert for the Star Wars comic. 
and I can remember that the advert um, had clips of the film in and one of those particular clips was uh, the Jawas um, shooting Artu um, in the desert on Tatooine and Artu falling over. And I, I mean, I suppose it was Anthony Daniels that was doing the, the, the advertising blurb dressed up as C-3PO. And he was saying something to the effect of, you know, um, buy the new Star Wars comic and it will really knock you out too. Um, and, and there was just, I can't even explain how or why, but there's something about those images that were in that, um, in that advert, you know, of the spacecraft and the laser battles and the droids and, you know, these, these jowers and these creatures. I mean, I was, I was hooked from that moment. I, that was it for me. I was hooked from that very moment and sort of fell in love with it at first sight like that. And uh, so I was uh, I was about 10 um, uh, at this time. And I asked my and I asked my dad if um, I could have the comic. And then, uh, yeah, he would he would pick the comic up every Wednesday from the uh, newsagents on his way back from work for me. And I've still got them all. I've got the I've got an unbroken run um, of the UK Star Wars comics, you know, from from number one up to when they finished after after Return of the Jedi. Uh, yeah. And, and that was it. And I can I I, I remember um finally persuading my family to um to take me to see the film i was very late um seeing the film my family weren't weren't one for going out um and i was super late and it, it was finally it was um uh my brother uh took me to to see it uh and uh and we were late for the cinema um and and they let us in and i remember the first thing i saw of star wars on the big screen was r2 and 3po looking out um the the the, the porthole of the escape pod um and uh, c3po saying something like it's funny the damage doesn't look quite so bad from out here oh wow so you, i mean you you missed the whole like the crawl and the initial ships over the top of almost felt like over the top of people's heads yeah um, so th that's fascinating so you didn't I, you didn't even get princess leia putting in the plans or darth vader's first appearance no but by then you see um i had read the the, the book i had read the comic i had looked of at all course, the pictures yeah. i just i had the story in my head i knew exactly where we were in in the story um and then uh I, and then my brother said we'll just sit we'll just sit in the cinema and until they show it again so we can catch up on the first bit and uh and so i was i and i was desperately hoping that he'd go to sleep in during the second showing so that we could sit and get all the way through it a second time um as well uh, and we got sort of up to where uh where, where they got into the death star um on the second uh, second run through and he said it's time to go so i sort of got i got i got one and a bit times of seeing it but all out of order the first time but uh i mean goodness it it yeah it it was a revelation and it seems to be it's it's funny because um star wars was something that was never small it was it, in terms of common knowledge people knowing about it in the sense that it was small when it was in george lucas's head and when he was trying to convey the ideas to people like you uh, dave filoni said recently on um the gallery documentary about the making of the mandalorian where how you see a stormtrooper now you know it's a stormtrooper for stormtrooper whether you kind of know star wars or don't a stormtrooper is a stormtrooper darth vader is darth vader and everybody you see a stormtrooper walk onto set and you're like yeah that makes sense but back then seeing all the things that george lucas was obviously trying to convey to everyone people on the set and it's been common stories before they're just like what are you thinking you know, this doesn't well he's got a big walking carpet over here and this, this like guy trying to walk in this shiny gold they're like falling face planting every 15 minutes 
<laughs> I mean, it, it's it's fascinating in terms of how, but when it came out, it exploded. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it didn't come out in the way that films come out today, where it worldwide releases, every country is getting it for the first time. It was very much just exploded into America and then came later everywhere else, including mm. the UK. Yeah, and it, it was... So So I'd been sort of soaking it up um, for a long time before the actual release, you know, over here. And then, as I said, we were just, you know, we were just super late in actually um, actually getting to a cinema um, to, to, to see it. Uh, but it was immediate, absolutely. It just... It felt like the most amazing thing I had ever seen. I mean, you know, people talk about things blowing their minds, um, and that's a really overused expression. Um, But to my 10-year-old mind, it it did blow it completely. It still blows it today. Um, The moment that I can remember feeling almost, um, almost overwhelmed by how good everything was and just my imagination just sort of fizzing and just sort of being high really on the whole thing was the empire strikes back and Mm -hmm. the battle of hoth i mean just to see the walkers i mean still even even now talking about it i've got that little tingle and chill um up the, the the back of my spine you know how does that happen why does that stay with me it you know that that's not science at work that's just that's just magic now this is something that was so well done when it came to the empire strikes back and i mean a lot of people believe this to be the best star wars film ever made and rightly so because there's so many elements of it that are so brilliantly put together but where star wars benefits so much so from its huge success of the first film is one just having the money in order to tell the story in an expanded universe in the way that they wanted to tell it so the hoth sequence on its own is just such an unbelievable way to start the film because Mm. it transports you you go in knowing Star Wars and then suddenly you're in this terrain of a different world and everything's new again, even Mm. after all the comics, uh, everything that's come out and we're starting again. And Hoth very much so. One of my favourite sequences of all time with the uh, snow speeders and the walkers and everything coming in. It's it's so captivating for an opening sequence of of Star Wars. And I feel still to this day, it's probably the best opening sequence. Oh, I think it's just, I mean, I really think it, it, it it's amazing. Definitely my um, favourite Star Wars film with New Hope, uh, you know, just behind, or or just Star Wars as it was called when I first saw it. Um, and, yeah, it was the, I suppose for me, with The Empire Strikes Back, it was a perfect marriage of familiar and different and as you as you rightly say, a real thoughtful expansion of that universe. You know, Yoda. I think he's probably um, probably my favourite character in Star Wars. Um, and that's developed the older I've got. So I mean, everyone loves Han Solo. Um, you know, <laughs> everyone does. I, you know, Luke, totally great. Princess Leia off the scale you know what a what a trio of characters but that level of sort of mysticism and thought and underlying philosophy that's brought into this you know action blockbuster through the yoda sequences and the realization um of of sort of the the yoda character i mean what i mean it's you know genius doesn't come close it's just people i think captivated the creative team themselves must have just been captivated and believed wholeheartedly you know in what they were doing as much as the audience you know believed in what was going on and together that 
that brings a real sense of meaning actually um and of course you get the you know you get the i am your father revelation i mean how can you how can you get any better than that it's extraordinary i mean yeah empire really has everything as a full scale of emotions as i say recently i revisited the original trilogy and i very much say oh poor luke goes through one hell of an emotional journey in every single film whether he likes it or not but yeah you... i love the fact that he that you know the, the the guy who saves the galaxy begins as a as a sort of a whiny farmer on a on a desert planet that's pure storytelling to me i think you know just incredible he probably made moisture farming one of the most popular (laughs) professions for people to look into (laughs) one thing you do touch on though which i spoke about recently yoda Mm. is is such a brilliant character but star wars for me especially the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy because that was my era of star wars Mm. i I first experienced a new hope in the cinema in the re-releases when it came to i think 97 when they were celebrating the 20th anniversary and also that obviously went perfectly hand in hand for the build-up of a phantom menace Mm. but I was saying to someone the other day, the scenes of uh, when Luke goes to the Dagobah system and in Yoda's hut, I was like, the way those scenes make me feel, I link to the way Christmas makes me feel. They're so nostalgically cosy. Yoda's little hut where he's making a soup and, you know, Luke's in there learning these things, Mm. both having a little debate with uh, Ben, who's a force ghost at that particular time. It's just, it's it's so interesting that no other film, I think, apart from Jurassic Park, kind of makes me feel like that. Mm, it's so interesting because it's so, it's such an intimate scene. It's such a pure drama, pure character scene. you know. And yet we understand, because of the backdrop that they've painted, there's no need at that moment for explosions special effects or 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 whatever there's no need for spectacle at that moment because the weight of of the drama and the unfolding story is just being carried on you know those characters shoulders and the decision that's being made there you know is affect and we understand that it affects everything from there on so when yoda finally drops the facade of you know crazy yoda and just says i cannot teach him it it really hits hard it's i mean utterly utterly brilliant storytelling and the 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 the, so the animosity between r2 and yoda just runs that whole sequence in a really subtle way you know r2's outside looking in all the way through Luke's training, you know, Yoda and R2 hardly ever approach each other. They're always positioned away from each other. Um, and and you do get this little feeling that R2's feeling really quite left out um, of this whole thing. It's just, I mean, it's just brilliant, actually. I kind of feel very much so with the R2 thing. It's so from, from the moment, from the get-go, the little fight they have but yeah. about the torch. But especially that intimate scene you you know you're so in awe of everybody that brings yoda to life the puppetry team and frank oz um especially but then so much um praise has to be given to mark hamill's performance across from a character puppet at that time but his performance with yoda puts yoda on a pedestal from the get-go which is just so interesting to see. And it, it brings you into that scene and cements like Yoda in your mind uh, from so quickly from this little mischievous little creature to this unbelievably wise Jedi master. Mm. Oh, I, you know, Mark Hamill, uh, you know, occasionally I see him come in for really unwarranted criticism. Uh, and I mean, he's brilliant. 
he is this you know wide-eyed exuberant um you know character that wants adventure and he plays it perfectly and each film that goes on he gets put more through the ringer until you know he and you really sort of start to feel gosh be careful what you wish for look at you know look at everything that has happened to him to the the cost of everything to achieve you know his um uh his sort of dream of of adventure and excitement i mean yeah and as you say i i i never think when i'm watching those scenes of of yoda as a puppet at no. all it's it's only afterwards that i sort of think back but i'm totally there and i i can see mark hamill's face you know, looking at Yoda right now when he says, you know, I'm not afraid, you know, and he totally sells it. Yeah, you're spot on. Brilliant acting. Yeah, it it really is. And um, but there's so many things like you just mentioned on there, the creative team behind uh, Star Wars, especially with the original trilogy, must be just kind of like waiting there with bated breath when it came to the next film and what George was going to bring in next as the outlining story, what creatures, planets, scenes, locations, for them to kind of get their hands into and and then create what was already written on the page. It must have been just such a exciting time for them especially. Yeah, just to, to, to bring that to bring that all alive and all hung off this really solid backbone of story, just a, a proper sense of mythic storytelling. Um, and, and that's what's, you know, that's, that's what I find so um, inspiring about those first two films um, and, and the, and the return of the Jedi as well. And subsequent, uh, some of the subsequent films, not all of them. Um, it's just this strong sense of of simple, propulsive storytelling, and then understanding all the motivations of the characters as we go along. I mean, for you yourself, because of the career you have now, was as as you said, you know, Star Wars was an influence. So in those years, like in between. Star Wars and then Empire Strikes Back and Empire Return of the Jedi is is that for you you feel where you really took like that look at up into the stars more seriously and exploring the possibilities of a career or just even understanding it at that point more so yeah to a certain extent it is so I never remember a time in my life when I wasn't fascinated by the night sky and Somehow I sort of gravitated towards um, science fiction, um, but it was Star Wars that that absolutely sold me on it. You know, just that. And it was from there, in fact, that because uh, sort of my parents sort of knew that Star Wars was about space. Uh, and that was pretty much the extent of what they knew about it. Um, so they would buy me space books and and things like that and so i as as interested as i was in all the science fiction and star wars and other things and then uh became very interested in um star trek as well in those intervening years between the star wars films um i was also just reading voraciously about astronomy and the wider universe and finding that that was piquing my um imagination as well and it was also star wars the soundtrack of star wars as well this the, the the big orchestral um especially the very strong melodies of john williams that helped me very early on see the universe the wider universe not as a kind of a scary distant remote place but as a as, as a place of excitement and adventure and I kind of think that it's because every time, you know, the Millennium Falcon takes off from a planet or, uh, you know, Luke's X-Wing 
takes off from Hoth, you know, and suddenly from a bright, I remember it vividly being in the cinema, from a bright screen of all the daylight planet, suddenly you're plunged into darkness and the stars across the scene. And, and the music always seemed to have some sort of fanfare or crescendo at that moment that just made you think, oh, back in space, you know, and that in some way had a very great influence on on the way i look at the wider universe i mean like you were saying there it's just kind of that relief of uh, knowing where you are back in space with star wars and so many possibilities i feel very much so somebody must have coined onto that with the with why they always start every film with always being in space to a certain extent before then the camera seems to drop down and we either go to a planet or to a space battle either or is just as exciting as to where the film's going to go did you get a sense of um because what star wars seems to do and what george lucas has always said is star wars you know 12 year olds is the star wars target audience um but then i don't know if he knew then and how it was going to live inside people and pretty much be the thing that resembles their childhood so when kind of like the sequel trilogy came along before even seeing a phantom menace did that kind of immediately take you back to being a kid again when knowing that there was going to be more star wars oh yeah i remember being um in the cinema for opening night of um of phantom menace uh and i can remember just before it's it it, it started i mean literally when the uh when the lights went down in the cinema and and feeling the goosebumps i can you know i can i can remember it um vividly um the biggest moment i had of that however was in the the force awakens so i you know had the midnight showing tickets um i was nervous like you wouldn't believe how strange to be nervous about a film um (laughs) But I was so nervous. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's happening again. I've got the chills just just thinking about it. Uh, it you know the music starts, Star Wars on the screen, and then the crawl begins. And the first things it says is you know Luke Skywalker has vanished, and it was as if those forty years. Um, had never taken place. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't even fully get my head around what happened to me at that moment. My, but, um, and I, I next came up for air, as it were, you know, at the end credits. I was utterly, utterly captivated once more, and gosh yeah the excitement after the force awakens for me was very similar um to the excitement as a 10 year old uh, of seeing um star wars for the first time i think you're very right there because in terms of since the original trilogy well we've been very fortunate enough to have i think what eight more cinematic star wars releases but I don't think any truly captivate the kind of excitement and then obviously live up to that excitement so much as Force Awakens does. Because I know it was interesting because obviously so many people have opinions these days, <laughs> which is very apparent in the Star Wars fandom. And and obviously there's loads of opinions where the Force Awakens is just um, them remaking A New Hope to a certain extent. Um, but to myself, it's like Force Awakens sits in this place where you're bringing people back to a world, a galaxy far, far away where all these things have happened before. And so many people have connections with them. And you've also then had the Clone Wars and you've had Star Wars Rebels and you've had all these animated series and you've had years of novels and books and comics so force awakens i feel it makes perfect sense to align itself with story beats from the original trilogy and things that have come before whilst at the same time introducing us to new characters and new worlds i think i think it was kind of it was such a a brilliant decision to go in that direction 
and also I feel they executed it brilliantly. Yeah, I I I I agree with that. I think it was the Star Wars film that was needed for the time, and it's. I mean, it is a great story, and I you know, I I get it that um, you know Ray seems quite overpowered. You know, from the beginning, she can fly the Millennium Falcon. She can, you know, defeat Kylo Ren and and all of it. I do get it, um, but. There were always a few. Yeah, I, I was willing to give it a pass on all of that because for me, it was so lovely to see those uh, original characters again, and uh, you know the way they they did make bold storytelling choices. You know, and I enjoyed them, and I thought it was yeah, I thought it was exactly the Star Wars film that was needed for the time because it put the fun and the excitement and allowed us to check back in um, with these these original characters again. Yeah, it was a very much like uh, you would sit there and, and they're almost saying to you, remember this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I do. I do remember that. And that's what I remember. Um, it, it's quite interesting as well, because, yeah, a lot of the discussion was, especially when Force Awakens came out, was that Ray, she kind of came on so quickly in terms of everything that she knew and could do. And, uh, and I was kind of thinking yeah but luke was a moisture farmer and then defeated the empire like a few days later so <laughs> i feel that's very fair in terms of what ray could do in uh just uh like coming level with kylo ren and flying the falcon <laughs> yeah and and you know kylo ren was injured you know he took the, the blaster bolt from uh from chewy you know and and stuff like that so and that's that's the same level of explanation as yeah luke can fly an x-wing because you know he'd been flying his land speeder through um beggar's canyon and things like that it's it's that same level of explanation so was, you know i was i was happy i did think of course like um that there would be a special lineage for ray because that seemed what they were they were hinting at and so it felt like um uh you know there was an explanation um, there and, and a reason. Um, and it was only really on repeat watchings that I thought to myself, oh, yeah, it's uh, there maybe. Yeah. How does she know to do the, um, the, 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 the force trick, you know, with persuading the, the stormtrooper to, to let her go and stuff like that. Um, but overall, you know, I was, I was more than happy with force awakens. Yeah, it's it's something interesting that, I mean, we do get elements of this more so because there's more Star Wars content than ever before. But I feel that there is also, like, the roles that Jedis take, especially in the sequel trilogy, which is the one we've most recently had, there's certain elements and story beats that, like you said, with how does, you know, Ray know how to do that? And I kind of feel that only if you're... Uh, you know invested Star Wars fan to the level this is where like I feel they make it slightly harder um, invested Star Wars fan to the level of you read the comics you read the novelization versions of the theatrical films does everything truly piece together whereas in the storytelling is obviously always brilliant at a certain level but I feel it more so relies on these external forms of information nowadays more than it did um, with the original and prequel trilogies yes I think I think that's absolutely true and I don't think that's you know if I'm being perfectly honest I don't think that's doing the films any favors actually because it's starting to there's there's an element of convolution um that, that that's perhaps creeping in um and you, you shouldn't you shouldn't need to go and read um, and buy a load of other stuff to understand the movie that you've just paid to see. The movie should be in and of itself complete. And that means just stripping it back a bit, I think, and having a very clear, simple backbone to the story, not trying to, you know, sort of cram everything in where motivations are changing sort of almost by the scene, really. It just becomes dizzying and bewildering. 
Yeah, which I feel, but I mean, now they're going into this new world, so to speak, to a certain extent. We have Kevin Feige doing a Star Wars film. We have Taika Waititi doing a Star Wars film. I mean, it's so exciting to know that we're going to get Star... And I feel it's even more exciting to people now after seeing what can be created with The Mandalorian. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I am super excited um, for the future of of star wars and the films i'm sort of um i'm sort of old enough now and wise enough i think that i know that uh i'm not going to like everything um star wars does um and that's okay um the only time i got really upset was uh you know and this and this is the super tricky one to 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 talk about um is you know there is one star wars film that i thought had a very dark heart and was very mean-spirited um which i did not which i did not like at all i nearly and nearly killed um my love of star wars actually um but uh, so I'm now at a situation where I, I'm I'm happy to um, sort of take each offering as it comes, and if it and and if it speaks to me with the same spirit that um, you know I've come to know and love from Star Wars, then you know that is absolutely great. Uh, and if it doesn't, well, Salavi. Well, th- this is the thing that if it doesn't, there's still so much Star Wars to love. Um, And this is one of the most interesting things I found about Star or find about Star Wars is there's so much love for so many little elements of it. Um, Obviously, you've got the big characters, the Luke Skywalkers, the Han Solos, now the Rays, the Chewbacca's and all those that are universally loved. But there's all these tiny little elements where it either it's like particular characters or um, people that appeared on screen for 0.5 seconds or (laughs) um, particular scenes or situations. One of which I only recently found out by watching, I don't know if you've seen it, but the gallery series that Disney plus are offering, which is the documentary series, the eight part documentary series on the making of the Mandalorian. And there's a sequence that they talk about, the, have you seen the Mandalorian series? I have definitely, um, and most enthusiastically, seen uh, the, the Mandalorian series. I haven't yet seen um, the the gallery um, series about it. It's uh, yeah, it's on it's on my Disney Plus every time I uh, I open it up, and um, I will have a look. Um, the strange thing about it is that whereas I used to devour um, all the special effects programs. Um, there is a part of me that I'm aware that the Mandalorian was made in this extraordinary way. And there's a tiny little part of me that doesn't want want to sort of draw the curtain back and see behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right. You can, you can, you can ease yourself in over yeah. the next few years. <laughs> um, but there's one, so there's one thing in the Mandalorian, if you remember, when he gets paid... In, in this Baskar, I think it's... Oh, are you going to talk about the um, the ice cream maker from The yes. Empire Strikes Back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like something that was unbelievable to me. I was, you know, it seems to be common knowledge in terms of Star Wars celebration. There's a big thing about it. I never knew about or heard about this before. All based upon, and I'll give the story so people listening can understand. In the moments of where... Darth Vader is I think he's still at Cloud City and everything's all going on they're trying to save Han Solo and Luke's going to battle Darth Vader and everything's going a bit mad people are running around and one particular character who runs across the screen past Lando in a brief second under his arm um, unbeknownst to me he's holding an ice cream maker (laughs) <laughs> which obviously someone saw and went that looks like it could come from space <laughs> let's let's have him carry that and john favreau uh has obviously thought that that's such a brilliant idea he, he in the documentary you see he gets so excited by this that they managed to create and give the ice cream maker a purpose 
But I just feel that story about the ice cream maker is just so Star Wars, isn't it? In how people perceive these films. Yeah, this is this is the thing that I think is really good. Um, and, you know, there's been so much debate in the last few years about, you know, what they call nostalgia, what they call fan service and, and things like that. Almost as if those are just like terrible, terrible things um, that should never be contemplated. But if they're done within the context of the story, what's the problem with that? You know... We're in the same universe. We're bound to see the same ships. You know, that's not nostalgia. That's just continuity. Um, and this idea, you know, uh, what a lovely little creative spark that this um, this little moment in that you know film from 1980 that's become a sort of fandom meme or meme um, because you know people are now much more familiar with what these things look like. Uh, and here he goes. We need, you know, effectively a safe, as it were, um, uh, a secure, a strong box. You know, ah, let's do that. I mean, yeah, what a delightful moment. And what I like about it as well is that if you're in the know, you get it immediately, and it gives you a little smile. But if you're not in the know, it doesn't seem weird. It doesn't take you out of the bubble. You don't feel excluded by it. And that's that's the best sort of fan service, um, for want of a better word, you know, is these seamless integrations um, of, of, of things that fans will recognize. Now, is, is there a particular thing with yourself um, that across the whole Star Wars existence, and I'm probably sure it's from the original trilogy, is there a moment or a character, particular scene or something, not one of the major ones, but that always kind of puts a smile on your face or you've always loved that element or character more so even though they haven't been a main fixture in the whole story? Yeah, that's so... That's so interesting to um, think about that. It's sort of, I suppose, I'll tell you what gave me a real kick. Um, and that was, it's, it's a bit similar, you know, to the, to the ice cream maker. Um, but it's this character that's, uh, that's developed through the Clone Wars and then into Star Wars Rebels. Um, and it's the character of Commander Rex, one of the clone troopers. And someone just happened to notice that one of the really obvious commandos, rebel commandos in the Battle of Endor, had this white beard and looked a bit like Commander Rex. And uh, sort of it's, um, I don't think it's officially confirmed, but it's kind of like tacitly uh, Dave Filoni. Yeah, we're OK with, with you thinking that that's him, you know, and there's there's a part of me that loves that that there's this now direct thread, even if it's only just noticeable to fans, you know, right from the the prequels and the Clone Wars, you know, all the way through Rebels and up into the Battle of Endor. I kind of I kind of like that um, very much. Yeah, that's that's an absolute brilliant one. I've heard them talk about that before. Uh, and it's always interesting to hear, obviously, you know, like the uh, Star Wars overlords, I guess we can call them. But <laughs> people like Dave, Dave Filoni and Lucas and can kind of look at it and go, yeah, you know, you can believe that. That's fine. They don't. Uh, I always love there's a particular behind the scenes uh, moment when Lucas goes on set of The Mandalorian for the first time. And uh, obviously everyone's so excited. And Favreau um, talks to him. And he's like, oh, have you seen the gun? The the gun we got the Mandalorian. Oh. Um, and it, and it's, you know it's the because you know we got it from the holiday special you know so that, that's that that's canon right <laughs> looks over and goes no not really <laughs> and it's just like oh <laughs> does that okay yeah that's not canon but it's uh but it's always it is now yeah it is now um <laughs> Uh, for me, especially, there's I've spoken about this before, but there's this particular moment for me that always stands out, and it's one of those things that they actually bring back uh, in the Mandalorian. I got way too excited over such a small thing, and it's it's literally the the gatekeeper droid from Jabba's palace that greets 
C-3PO and R2-D2 when they knock on the big steel door and this like long metal arm with a like a glitter ball eye mm. on the end of it comes out and says something completely random like or and C-3PO just goes well goodness gracious me and yes. that that moment <laughs> makes me laugh every single time I see it and makes me smile every time I see it and they bring that gatekeeper droid back in the Mandalorian I think that was the thing I got most excited about over the whole series <laughs> just just that tiny little anime, uh, uh, moment and I was like there he is what was he been doing it's, <laughs> it's just that guy <laughs> you know it's that it's that's you know that's the technology of the world that they live in so you know in at one sense of course it's gonna you know of course there's going to be another one like that or whatever and so that's and and that is other people sort of see that and go oh that's a really bad thing nostalgia fan service but that's just the world in which star wars is in if you don't like it you need create a new world you know that's yeah. it's, that's that's the thing that's the architecture that's that's what it is and so there's yeah very much so and that's that's just part of their everyday like mm. a mobile phone is part of our everyday or a doorbell for instance exactly. in that instance is part of our everyday um there's so many different elements of that which are interesting and fascinating and, and I, I spoke before uh before we got on this um chat to say we would touch on clone wars and the the main reason i wanted to touch on clone wars is because there's always this um thing with star wars and i think not just star wars i believe a lot of films or stories have the same um outcome as more time passes people come round to what was what happened before and how it was presented i feel that i i'm I obviously i wasn't around when return of the jedi came out but I've read up that Return of Jedi wasn't actually that well received by critics um, and fans alike at that time. But then obviously now it's completely beloved as the whole original trilogy is and should be. But I feel the animated series, I feel Clone Wars and um, Rebels especially have, I don't know how you feel, but it's so interesting that these versions of Star Wars, I feel have, kind of repaired wounds that happened from the prequels because they expanded so much on that era and all the elements and why people are the way they are and everything. But do you, do you find it yourself that the animated series, especially like Clone Wars, kind of kept that Star Wars spirit alive, especially between the prequels and the sequel trilogy and also created people's love for the prequel trilogy especially uh, allowed it to build more yeah to a certain extent i do because i you know i i do enjoy the prequel trilogy but it doesn't feel as if it dovetails with the original trilogy um, in terms of storytelling you know where you know are to can fly in the prequel trilogy well he certainly can't in this you know in the original trilogy and those kind of details they're not minor to me i want to believe in the continuum of of, of all of this I, I have a bit of a hard time thinking of darth vader building c-3po as well um but you know if i detach and just look at them as other slightly other things so yes it's star wars you know um then you know, I, I I can enjoy the, the the prequel trilogy. I don't think the storytelling and the characterization is as good as the originals, but I still enjoy it. The Clone Wars, however, um, it was like the for me when I saw that, it was like I thought that the um, the prequel trilogy had found their format in a way. A lot of the things that didn't work for me in the actual film. Or made me think, oh, this is not quite as I remember Star Wars and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I found worked better in, in the animated series because somehow being in that animated form, um, my expectations were different um, from it. So I've enjoyed the Clone Wars. I've particularly enjoyed um, the character of Ashoka Tano. 
um, couldn't stand her um, when she first came on the screen. Um, but, and, but as the character develops, you know, it, it stops being this sort of sort of glib youngster that that know it all um and actually becomes a fully rounded you know individual um and my fingers i can't tell you how how crossed my fingers are um if for hopefully we get a Shokatano in live action maybe even a series of her possibly with sabine wren going off to try and find ezra bridger um wherever he is that would be super um exciting to me that very much so ahsoka's character that comes from the clone wars which a lot of people say is i mean one of the best things to come out of star wars um especially the animated series but she's such a interesting character and one thing that lends itself to a series format is you get that time for character development that you don't that you're so limited to in a film and also like you said animation people seem to have this like they allow an animation to get a not get away with more but they just allow it more room to create and tell a story um people don't seem to jump on it as as quickly as live action say well this is wrong uh (laughs) this is this isn't how we think it should be uh animation people sit back to a certain extent and go well you know it's only animation so it's okay and then when it develops into something which ends up being so brilliantly done it, mm. everybody rejoices in the in the animation that's come and the stories that have come out of it but i i, I so wish that there was a sokotano series on the way yeah my fingers are so cro- uh, so so crossed for that yeah it might be a bit strong actually of me to say i couldn't stand her when she first came on it was just a character that i didn't take to i found her presence slightly annoying yeah um but uh and i think also the 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 latitude you know that's given to an animated series it's i think it might be because because it's animated there's something in our heads that goes yeah this is you know this is not real as it were um you know there's a filter and so we go yeah we're in an altered sense of reality so we're willing to uh, you know allow a little bit of of latitude um things that you know pop you out of the pop me out of the 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 suspension of disbelief bubble when it's a live action you know looking like it's all real um in front of you yeah very very much so and also what you talked about the possibility of I mean, I would love it if we got the live action, you know, I mean, people are saying that even though she hasn't confirmed, Rosario Dawson is supposedly um, going to be playing Ahsoka and will be appearing in some way uh, in the Mandalorian season two. So that's mm. fingers crossed for that. But we do have the fact of um, Sabine Wren and we do have Ezra, other characters that can be explored in live action as well, which are really fascinating. Um, For yourself uh, personally, when, so we've got obviously Ryan Johnson still developing a trilogy, which for me I'm happy about in the sense that he is a brilliant filmmaker. I don't think many people can deny that in terms of Knives Out and in terms of Looper I know a lot of people disagreed with The Last Jedi, but as as a person, as a filmmaker, he's he's a great filmmaker. So we have his trilogy, Tykers and uh, Kevin Feige, and I'm sure more to be announced. Is there any particular, are you kind of open to whatever they put in front of you? Or is there something that you would like to see in a live action Star Wars film that either hasn't been seen or you would just like particularly to be a story to be told? I have no need for Star Wars to be exploring vastly different time frames um, because it's a big universe and they can put it in different places within the context of what we've seen already or just sort of shortly outside of those kinds of things. Having said that, I'm open to uh, you know a whole new... Um, spin-off if you like of sort of knights of the old republic or some other you know time frame uh but it has to have some for me it just has to have some dna 
you know of, of of star wars in it and that's the 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 idea of mythic storytelling and i enjoy the character archetypes um simply because these are these are from classic storytelling that have worked um for millennia now and that's what i think is star wars is unique selling point is that it appeals in a universal way um, to add love of stories as soon as you deviate from that and you start to trying to bring in um, contemporary commentary uh, you 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 break the mythic bubble so though i'm perfectly happy that if you know that's somewhere they want to go and they want to start making um star wars that somehow reflects you know more um the sort of situation in the world today and especially um has highly pronounced political points of view um that would i think have to uh you know i'd I'd go along and see it um, and I'd keep my fingers crossed that I enjoyed it. But for me, Star Wars is at its best when it's pure storytelling, pure escapism uh, and just a lot of fun and uh, just, you know, has a, has a sense of adventure um, and a joie de vie about it. Yeah, I, I, com- I completely agree. That's kind of where it sits in its element, isn't it? being told in that particular way something that i also uh, wanted to ask just for a bit of fun in terms of should i say star wars maybe technology or mm-hmm. things that we see in star wars what would you most like to see in the real world that is in the star wars world or something that we could get to for me personally i know a lot of people would jump in and say lightsabers which obviously <laughs> would be would be really cool but i don't think it's actually I mean, maybe from an engineer standpoint in a few uh, hundred years or so, but I don't think it's possible because you have to kind of restrain light to a certain extent, don't you, to have something like that exist? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how a lightsaber would work, but um, uh, yeah, what what technology would I like? Goodness me. I mean, I would love, I, uh, once again, I don't know if this is possible or something that maybe a case of when rather than if but like a hyperdrive yeah well i I was so i was in in my head the thing that was just popping into my head was that yeah i would really like the millennium falcon yeah i think yeah so 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 there would there would be the hyperdrive on there you know it's always a bit dodgy i know but um that's just the way it goes that's just the way it goes have you had a chance yet to experience galaxy's edge no um no i haven't uh i i i did think at one point um that uh, i would definitely go but i really really wanted to see it um but you know i've skirted around the issue um a, a bit in this conversation but uh uh the last jedi nearly killed my my love of star wars i mean it nearly killed it stone dead because it was it seemed to me to be projecting a very big message saying um that this star wars is different it's not you know what you thought of as star wars is not what star wars is going forwards and so at that point and that was around about the time that galaxy's edge was sort of uh, nearing opening and at that point i just lost all enthusiasm for everything about it and I thought to myself, okay, um, Star Wars is truly in in my past, where I thought it was for a long time anyway, and and so that was it. Uh, and yeah, and then the Mandalorian um, helped reinvigorate me. And although I didn't think that the Rise of Skywalker was the was a very good story, it did at least have that sense of joie de vie that I like about um, Star Wars again. So, and that's made me. Um, the Mandalorian in particular has made me interested in what's coming next. I'm now sort of back on board enough to, to have an open mind about what's coming next. It's, it's also nice that we can see, especially on the series side of things, um, we obviously don't know what's going to happen in the films, but where the series lie, all the ones that are being developed are what are currently just about to be start to to be made now are all sitting in that 
original trilogy so timeline which yeah. which is great and uh it's it's so nice to be good to go back there i know it's obviously what people reference all the time and they're like oh it's so nice to explore everywhere else it's but at the same time it's like yeah but we only just got those three films of that era so it is great to go back and see what else was going on around that time exactly that is what star wars effectively is and if you want to change it completely you know um and just sort of use the 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 sort of costumes and the look but everything else you know you're in a different time period or you're on a different planet your style of storytelling and the kinds of stories that you you want to tell and the points that you want to make are not of that era and of that mythos then just go and make a different just go and make a, a, a different science fiction show Mm. it becomes it starts to then feel very cynical to me about just using star wars as a tag you know to sell and yet star wars is is about a feeling and a meaning and an underlying philosophy that's that's built up i said almost by accident i suppose around these various uh films and 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 the and that we've seen and somehow we key into it we you know we 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 know when it feels like star wars and even when we might not quite so much like that particular film or that particular plot line or something like that there's a there's a certain thing that feels like like star wars yeah definitely completely agree one thing I, i i would say if you can ever put it into your calendar, it would be to go to Galaxy's Edge at some point, even if just for the experience of standing next to the Millennium Falcon in all its <laughs> life-size glory. Just kind of just standing there looking at it in the scale it's meant to be. Uh, as a as a person, you kind of go, every dime or dollar i've spent to get here is automatically worth it just for this one particular moment um that i'm having right now and then of course you get the experience i don't know if you know but you obviously get the experience to go on to the millennium falcon and in the cockpit and the chair where the chess is played and all that and it's so done well obviously to detail that it is like walking into a dream almost Mm. yeah okay i you, you you've convinced me if only, yeah. if only for the Millennium <laughs> Falcon. <laughs> well, um, Stuart, I would love to say thank you so much for doing this today. I think that's a brilliant place to end it, and we've covered quite a lot in that time. So it's a really appreciated um, uh, that you came on and had a chat with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ben. I, you know, just love talking about Star Wars. You know, it's just it's such a part of me that, um, yeah, even even when I think it's behind me, I don't think it it ever really will be. Hi guys, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the force be with you. (laughs) 